0: Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss bass notes, Joe Biden's home invasion, and bad musicians. We've got a great guest. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into
1: it.
0: Well, Ryan, we're back. We made it. Hello. It's a great it's it's February. It's the week of February (laughs) seventeenth. And and we're just living our best lives. Out loud. We're living out loud, but very quietly in our apartments, in our homes, just quietly waiting for the vaccine to trickle down to us like sweet, sweet, the sweet nectar of the gods. I'm just waiting for Biden to uh, slide in through my bedroom window with a mask on and a vaccine in his hand and just inject me with it. Just inject it right into me. Just put that vaccine right inside of me. Anyhow, but until that day arrives, just masking, double masking and not leaving the house. Just in a mask, in a bed, all blankets covering my entire body, face, feet. Three more blankets on top of that, just for protection. Then two masks, and then just waiting for the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> How greatest, about you?
2: Greatest nation in the world. Um, yeah. We've uh, done it. Pretty We've much the it. same. Although I got a new couch, which I yes believe. I want to talk
0: to. about. Let's talk about the couch. Let's not waste one minute. I need to know the brand. I need to know the color. I need to know if it's a sectional. Well, here's the thing. Cindy Crawford okay. designed it. Okay. Cindy Crawford couch. I'm just going to Google that real quick. Cindy Crawfordcouch Okay. Cindy Crawford sectional. West. So it's a West Elm product. No, no. it is not. I got it. Wayfair. Raymond and to Flanagan. Raymond and Flanagan. Indeed. No. Okay. I got to look at this. It's I mean, a Raymore... great couch though. Are you talking about the metropolis microfiber sofa? No, the Carrington. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, capitalism. You you tawdry or mother, you tawdry or hold on. I didn't even know where I oh Cindy I love Cindy Crawford's hustle.
2: I know, right? I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't know this couch was Cindy Crawford's till it showed up. I went I love to the this. store. I looked at it. We fought between two couches. We settled on one. I was very happy with that. We finally picked one. We waited three fucking months for it to arrive. It finally arrived, and Cindy Crawford's face was on it.
0: Can I just say? Uh, I'm just perusing the Raymore and Flanagan website right now, which is a, I believe, is a, a regional. Furniture seller. I don't think that if you're listening to this in California if Tony, if you've moved to California, you may not have Raymore and Flanagan there. I don't know if you do, but Raymore and Flanagan is like a big box, uh, furniture seller. And they actually make their furniture is actually pretty well made. Like, unlike a lot of furniture you buy, like, like, uh, Wayfair furniture. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a big, I wouldn't I, look, I'm not a Raymore and Flanagan guy, but They actually have some pretty nice stuff, and I'm just perusing it right now. They also have some crazy shit, though. Like, they have, like, normal sofas for regular people that look nice, and then they have, like, a quadruple Lazy Boy sofa that is literally, like, four Lazy Boys pushed together. Like, leather. Leather Lazy Boys. Literally
2: nothing they wanted to sell us more than an armrest that opens, and
0: oh, it's a freezer. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Honestly, though. Yeah. But honestly... That's a sick fucking idea. And on, and why don't why isn't there like a drawer you can pull out underneath your sofa where there's like some like snacks, some some cooled, some chilled seltzers in there. Like, don't tell me that isn't a good idea because it is. You just got to make it look good. I can't find what is the name of the what is the name of the what is the brand the sorry the the line of the sofa. I'll send you a link once. What is it called? No, I don't want a like link. Carrington. I want to search for it. Carrington. Is that with two R's? Two R's. Okay, Carrington, just the way it sounds in your head. Carrington, here we go. Looking at the whole line. Oh, this is very nice. Thank you. I got the this dark. This is a rating. very let me tell you about the Carrington. This is a sofa. First off, it's got and don't take this the wrong way, but the it's got a Kardashian vibe to it in that it, does. it seems it does. it's oversized. <laughs> there's some there's some nail head uh accents, nail head trim accents, which I like, which I actually have on my headboard, though I've been meaning to get a new headboard. Long story. Um because you know what? You don't want to lean back on a nail head, is what it turns out. No. <laughs> um, this is very like uh like uh fancy. This is like the room in the house that the kids aren't allowed to go in. I this we, is, I
2: wanted a lot of flair. I wanted the most dramatic couch that they had, and John was like, That's that's ridiculous and not practical, and we're not spending money on that. So we've settled on this, which yeah, it's got my nail head accents, it's got you know. it looks
0: like it looks like an expense i'll be honest with you it looks pricey and I, it's not my style you know me i'm a i'm a mid-century very mid-century guy but uh although i've kind of i'm abandoning mid-century a little bit lately but um
2: well the reason i went with it was because it would match some of the mid-century stuff that we have like it, it, it wouldn't look out of place and the pillows that come on it that are totally rearrangeable it's a very wide couch without the pillows, and you can mm-hmm. just throw the pillows out or get new cases whenever you want to yes. redesign the room. So my yes. thinking was, if I'm gonna stu- be stuck with a couch for ten years, it should be it should match multiple styles, it shouldn't look like shit, and I should be able to recustomize it. And frankly, it's very comfortable, and it comes with a five year warranty. So. I'm
0: happy i I gotta say it's a it's a really I mean, and I know I know it's a heavy couch, right? It's like, like really heavy, extremely heavy. Couch. yeah, I <laughs> can tell by looking this is the thing about Raymore and Flanagan is that like it is a big box retailer for furniture, but they sell furniture that's like honestly, like when you buy stuff on like Wayfair or Overstock or like there's a lot of places that sell tons of furniture even if you go to Target and get stuff, it's like very. Kind of cheaply made and light and, like, you know, like you sit back on it and, like, moves. It's fine uh, for a
2: year, not because it fell apart, but because you tripped one time and it snapped in half.
0: Anyway. Anyhow, congratulations. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. You got you got a sofa. It's I'm, great. I've,
2: I've been sitting in an office chair in my living room for three months, so this is really a, a game-changing moment for me.
0: I just want to be clear also. This is not... A paid promotion for Raymore and Flanagan. <laughs> Absolutely not. I Definitely wish they were. I don't think they have the capital, frankly. To I, don't be think they're, I don't think they're, I don't think they're liquid enough to be doing that. They were but, so uh,
2: happy when I bought a couch. They were over the moon with each other.
0: <laughs> well, I would think I would think uh Raymore and Flanagan has been they've been having a very good time because feels like this is the time when everybody's locked down. They're like, ah, we gotta get a new chair or whatever.
2: Well, you know how they, I realized that they could keep their business going and they're probably fine is that i think their real business is putting people on financing plans for stuff
0: Mm -hmm. and then yeah or not working and then and then then like ruining people's lives because they bought because they bought like a bedroom set yes that sounds right to me that sounds right so how about that ted cruz huh that's a cool guy (laughs) he's cool sorry not to do a hard shift no we gotta
2: talk about texas i mean it's (laughs) <laughs> I, I I mean, unreal. And frankly, I, it's, couldn't I couldn't feel more discouraged with our inability to like catch up with Republican incompetence. If you don't live in the U.S. and you haven't heard about this in some capacity, uh, Texas is going through uh, a, a snowstorm and like a cold front, um, which sounds like not that big of a deal if you live in New York. But because Texas has Republican governors, they never prepared in any capacity for needing heat in the winter or uh, how to snow plow or, you know, what would happen to the homeless. Um, And they just kept putting it off and putting it off because it seemed like hard and like not worth um, their busy time. And they dismantled programs to read them for money. And now when a cold front comes in, I mean, is not this
0: what happened? Is not this what happened? You know,
2: millions of people are suffering, starving and dying.
0: (laughs) Isn't this what happened several years ago with the with the uh, the hurricanes? Yep. I mean, isn't this like... Several was years biz- ago. It was like it was every biz-
2: 18 months they get a hurricane and then yeah. they're like, we've well, no, I mean, never seen it coming. Climate change I, isn't real,
0: by the way. I, I remember we wrote a story for The Outline and it was like, you know, basically people who don't who like say this stuff isn't a problem and don't take you know don't actually take precautions to keep people safe should be like held accountable for crimes like against the you know with the the damage and the deaths that happen and and Tucker Carlson's show was like we'd like to have this writer come on and talk about how he thinks you know governors should be held accountable Uh, As criminals for not, you know, preparing, getting their people prepared and their states prepared for these types of things, and we are like, no, fuck you. Nobody goes on Tucker Carlson. Only dummies go on Tucker Carlson. Um, And uh, but it reminds me of the same thing, which is like, it's like there really should be consequences if you ignore the science and you ignore reality and you let people die and get sick and get injured because you just don't give a shit about them when it's your job to actually give a shit about them you know like i think there's a problem like that we don't define the job of 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 being a governor or being a, you know a senator from a state as having to actually work for the people who live there i mean i think the ted cruz thing is the most perfect the most perfect example of republican uh of republican political uh, uh philosophy that you can imagine his state is in a crisis people are without power they're freezing they're dying. They don't have food, and he took a trip to Cancun, to fucking vacation. You know that's the Republican Party. Like in a nutshell, really. I think like when when the when coronavirus was ravaging America, Donald Trump's agenda had nothing to do with it. He didn't give a shit about it. He was out to lunch. He was playing golf. That's that is the Republican Party. But that is scares, who you vote, That is who you vote for.
2: You know what scares me more? He's going to win next time and he'll probably win with an even bigger margin. He's not going to win.
0: I He's don't not. know. Who, oh, Ted, Ted Cruz? Cruz? Oh, Ted Cruz might because I don't know people are That's what I like, mean.
2: People are fucking morons. That's people America. Are, people
0: are are willfully ignorant of what's being done to them. I don't know how you can I don't know how you can look at that just that in a vacuum. Forget about everything else. What what would it take? It, it, it's like you your house, okay? So so Texas is is Ted Cruz's house, right? That's where that's where his stuff is. That's where the he's like, I got to take care of my house, right? The a storm hits your house, the windows blow in, the the living room is flooded, and you're like, I'm going on vacation. Like, who doesn't understand this very clearly? You know, dude should be passing out water. Dude should be touring the destruction. Guy, the guy should be doing press conferences about how uh they need relief. You know. He should be doing... Just say whatever. Do something. Not. Don't go on vacation. Beto, you know, I mean,
2: Beto is currently calling seniors and seeing if they're okay.
0: Let me be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't Beto is not an elected official, by the way. Just a, just Ted, a regular Ted person. Cruz should, Ted Cruz should be able to take a vacation, okay? I mean, I personally wouldn't during a pandemic. But hey, you know what? You do you. Uh, but but Ted, seditionist Ted Cruz should be allowed to take a vacation. I'm just saying not postponing your vacation... When there is a crisis happening in the state you represent to the rest of the country, is fucking nuts. Is like the wackest, most brazenly shitty thing I could imagine doing. You know. Anyhow, but it's indicative of the of the Republican Party. Uh, well, all I can think is like, you know, how would this be different with different leadership? Would it be different? I don't know. But you have to wonder. Maybe it's time to think for people like in Texas to think about, like, I don't know, maybe everything's going great with Republican leadership. Maybe it's like, hey, you know, what can you do? I guess the way everybody explains this way is like, hey, you know what? Crazy stuff happens. We can't, you know, nobody can help with this weather stuff. Like, you know, Ted Cruz isn't responsible for what happens with the weather, but it's like there is a way to be prepared for something or not prepared for it. Like I just feel like if you just if need you to go one, one step of the further. Largest,
2: most economically powerful states in the largest, most economically important economy in the world, and you can't find a couple dollars for a snowplow. I'm starting to think like like these are choices they made, right? Like they didn't they they decided they wanted an independent power grid that would be completely unbeholden to federal regulation. They chose that to save money or to make money for their friends and. This is the consequence of that. And, you know, I, I would be I, – I agree with you that, like, I wish that someone w- – this would sink in and someone would be like, fuck the Republicans. Like, I wish that this would snap into place for somebody, for anybody in that fucking party. But I also think, like, it's really hard for us to lecture them when fucking Gavin Newsom is walking around. It's really yeah. hard because Gavin Newsom has done all the same shit, but – you know, he's a little less bad and he says the right things. So he gets a big giant fucking pass from the fucking, I'm sorry to say this, but the, from the fucking Nancy Pelosi demographic, everybody gives those people a pass. And so it makes it really hard for us to be like, well, Ted Cruz is incompetent because then it just becomes this like, what about of the worst things about our party. And it's when we have some like tolerance for that, level of incompetence like I, I, I frankly I, I I do think if you are an elected official and 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 it, 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 there's a rise in in natural disaster or or um, uh, just any kind of violence any kind of rise in deaths that's like over 500 percent yeah you should have to go to court I'm not saying you should go to prison because I don't really know what happened but in that case you should go to court and a jury of the people who died, and their families like like the the people from that population should be the ones to decide it, it, like you look at all the things Trump did and then like republicans on a panel get to be like i think we should give him a pass and then like they pen op-eds being like i didn't want to give him a pass cuz he did the wrong thing but you know we have to cuz he's rich um it, it it that it should be everybody who is affected by Trump's actions should be the ones to decide what happens to him and and I, you know, I, I'm I, – there's no – I can't sit here and make a legal argument for this. I can't tell you, like, exactly how I would introduce a bill and make this happen because I just think our system is so fucked that, like, I, not, I, I don't want to be this person. And I avoided being this person for four or five years during the whole Trump beginning his run and then, you know, uh, attempting to overthrow the government and eventually walking out with his tail between his legs. I never became this person, but I'm starting to feel a little, like – everything's just fucked like i don't know that i don't know how to pull out of a spiral where like biden is arguing against himself to lower the amount of student loan debt forgiveness we're doing or like that we're in a pandemic and you can go on the national stage every day and say everyone deserves a free vaccination because nobody deserves for covid to come out of nowhere and ruin their life also i'm charging you full price for lymphoma treatments like it's (laughs) really Fucking hard to thread that needle and to get people to understand what the fuck you're talking about when you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. And I don't know how, I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. Like, we gave Democrats everything. We well, turned hold on, everything hold on, out. Hold on,
0: hold on a second. Hold on a second. There is, There are things that are changing. I mean, you have to, you cannot be like, it's all bad. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I get the anger. Ice the student, has no water. Loved,
2: ice has this... no water in Texas. <clears throat> the people in ice prisons have no water. And the federal government' like you're talking rid of ice,
0: but you're talking, <laughs> but, you're, but you're no, but the, you can't you can't be like, hey, why isn't why don't we get rid of ice today because of this situation that have, just happened? You have to remember this this I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying Democrats, there aren't a lot of Democrats that support ice, okay, because there are. But what I am saying and I'm like' not to make this about ice for a second, but I will say you can't am- you can't Biden cannot change today what has been going on for 10 years because of Republican leadership or whatever. Like, I, I mean, he may not change it at all. Like, that's, I do just think all, there- that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he, he doesn't want to, I'm not saying there won't be an attempt.
2: I'm saying seems like nothing's changing and it didn't seem like a ton changed. It didn't seem like a ton substantively changed um, in the places where we quote unquote got victories in the midterms. And it doesn't seem like a ton has changed. My day-to-day life in New York is not that much better under Cuomo than someone's life, uh, you know. Oh, well,
0: Cuomo. Don't even get me started on Cuomo. The Cuomo sexuals are burning their shirts right now.
2: It's just – it's really hard. (laughs) It's really fucking hard. It's really just – all I'm saying is – I'm not saying that there aren't people with good intentions or that Democrats aren't smarter or more competent. I'm saying things are so bad that, like, you know, I'm just – at this point, like, I got to make sure I have enough DVD sets in case the internet goes down. Oh listen, I mean it's not
0: great. It's not great. No one is uh no one is 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 saying that it's a great situation. But I mean the Texas thing is 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 years of rot. I mean it's so much rot uh in so many different ways, you know. Uh and I think, you know, there's there's just like you know, there's just it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some time. Like The reality is that I mean, if even if they do, even if they do all the right things, it's going to take time, and uh, it's frustrating. I mean, it's really frustrating. I, I will say, I will say, the one thing is the the people of Texas have to want something different. You know and and of course the the Democrats that do exist in Texas have to work really hard to fight all the insane of voter suppression. I mean, remember, Texas was one of the first when people started early voting. Texas was one of the first states where and including Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz literally argued to start throwing people's votes away like their argument was in the early I feel like it's almost like we've forgotten it because it's so much shit has happened, but in the early part of the pandemic uh or sorry in the early part of early voting during the pandemic they were basically like well we didn't all agree on these voting locations so we think the votes not just that like we should shut down the voting locations they were like we think we should throw out the votes that were cast at these locations like if you could just imagine what kind of person what kind of politician you have to be to say well what we'd like to do is to take these legally cast votes and throw them in the garbage you know mm-hmm. like that's a really insane. That's a really insane thing to think. I get. I I think that Texas is indicative of a lot of places in America where the Republican leadership that has been in place there has been just taking a dump on the people who live in that state for decades. And the people who live in the state, either they can't or they won't, for some reason, break out of this destructive relationship. I'm not saying the Democrats will be a lot better, but they might be a little bit better they might be like five percent better <laughs> like, i just don't, why I, not just give it a str- just take take it out for a walk and see how it how it feels
2: I, I just maybe i'm just i just i'm tired like i don't i don't know what to do at this point like i don't know where i'm supposed to be putting my money outside of mutual aid i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing to affect change or change people's minds except like you know do my job and try to speak up when i see injustice like i'm tired i'm fucking tired and like I can't imagine what the people in Texas are feeling, how fucking defeated and exhausted. And I don't know how they're going to feel even when this is over and they have to pick up all the pieces. And like, I I guess, I I don't know. I wish I could just be a sociopath and turn off my empathy and not feel anything about it or not want to, to fix it because I I don't like, I'm frustrated. And I feel like, I I feel like I, I felt like at least if we, at least if the Democrats took power, obviously they did. And it's nice. Um but at least I felt like I would feel like I, there there was something actionable I could do or that at least I wouldn't need to be calling my representatives constantly and complaining about things. Like I just I don't know. i I I, I think even if Democrats take Texas and they hold it for eight years or you know six years or ten years, um, that even if they put everything back together, I mean, Republicans just come around and go, god everything was bad but those sad sacks made you do all this work for 10 years what if i gave your fucking rich friend some free money and like then we just end up back where we started and i don't like americans have just are just i'm sorry they're just incompetent and they believe delusional things and i don't know how to reason with like QAnon. and i i i i'm just i'm like sick of it like i i my entire adult life i don't want to spend worrying about people who believe in like secret messages on on 4chan telling them that democrats eat babies and that's why they don't have power like
0: what are you yeah. talking like I, well, I we can't we uh, can't prove that that's not true i mean when you think about it actually um in any, any event let's talk about something nicer please Oh my god I'm can we talk already... about nintendo oh is that nicer <laughs> <laughs> i mean i
2: guess i this is um, my, I'm whole so take, bored. my whole I'm so take my whole bored of that, Nintendo. okay so nintendo did a nintendo direct for the first time in 530 days and announced some like new titles um they're bringing skyward sword to the switch okay um my whole thing with the nintendo direct was like it's fine like there's more in there than i guess i see coming from xbox or playstation in the next year but like they definitely have the Metroid Prime trilogy just, like, somewhere in their office. And they definitely could, like, turn around something bigger than Mario Golf, as much as the Mario Golf fandom is going to skewer me for saying that. Um, I just, I don't know. It, it, I love Nintendo, and I love the Switch. And when I saw every individual game, I was like, I would like playing that. But... Man, uh, they're really resting on the fact that people have nothing else to do but buy Switches right now. <laughs>
0: I mean, also, yeah, but also I'm starting to, like, I feel like the games are starting to, I know that it's hard to argue, like, uh, you know, that there's no, I mean, it's hard to argue that the Switch isn't great or whatever. The Switch is great, but the Switch is starting to show its age. And some of these games, <laughs> like, they showed, like, whatever this this. Um, there's Wii better remake. graphics on my
2: iPad half the time.
0: Yeah, like, they should, like, the Skyward Sword, is that the game that's, like, Mm -hmm. the remake of the Wii game? And And it looks like like a Wii game? Yeah, it looks like a Wii game, and I was, like, but I was also, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this were the actual uh, graphics of the game. Because, like, you know, I play, like, I play a lot of games on my Switch, and I'm, like, wow, this performs really poorly. Now that I'm, like, using next-gen systems like the PS5 and I'm playing on my PC on a regular basis. Like, I was playing um, the the Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man game last night, which is, like, so impressive. I mean, I've been playing a ton of PC games on, like, ultra settings, everything, and it's great, but, like, it really is impressive what they've done just in the first, you know, first few early games on uh, the PS5, and, like, I was playing, I'm like, God, this is so awesome and interesting, and there's so much detail, and, like, you know, there's scenes like when you're indoors where you walk around and it's like so detailed and interesting looking. And it's like, you know, I play like, g- and then I go back to my Switch and I'm playing, I'm playing like games and I'm like, this feels so last gen, like more than last gen, and like they couldn't even do some of the things that I'd like to like play on there if they tried, right? If you they, run it, Dead it,
2: Cells on your iPhone, you get it in HD.
0: Yeah, it's like, like, the, the, <laughs> like you can't it's even. It's not am- a hard game to run there's so many games that you just can't even like i was playing la noir which is a game from 2011 or something on my i've been playing it on my switch and and i the performance is really bad it's yeah. like if it's doing if it's doing 24 fps i'd be surprised like it's really bad right so there are all these types of games that you just can't even imagine and like breath of the wild's beautiful but like what could breath of the wild be if like they had some real processing also power controversial Breath of
2: the Wild's art style was very innovative and it and it is still beautiful, but it's been aped a million times and frankly that game doesn't look that good anymore. It doesn't. I'm sorry. It, it looks mean, it looks like shit unless you run it in an emulator and crank it up to 4K.
0: Yeah, I mean it looks nice. It's a nice art style, but it's definitely not pushing the envelope. I mean, it just is like I mean to me I see a lot of that stuff and I'm kind of like <sighs> I see a lot of stuff and I'm kind of like, "Oh, like they kind of are cutting corners in a bunch of different places." Like, I understand why they're doing this, because if they tried to do something better than this, they'd have to cut all kinds of weird corners and it wouldn't work, you know? Like, I mean, sorry, they, they are cutting a lot of weird corners, because otherwise, like, the graphics would just, like, bog the system down. So, I guess what I'm saying is it's time for a new Switch. Switch Pro. Switch Pro. I'd love a Switch Pro. Super I Switch. mean, can't they do it now? Isn't it possible? Yeah. I mean, what's the
2: hardware what's is there. Them? They have definitely the money on hand. They have more than enough time to do a whole rollout in the roll up to Christmas. I, like, they better, they just better. Like, because I, I love the Switch and I really don't like playing it lately. <laughs> and I yeah. love Bowser's Fury, great game. But, like, I, I don't like, like, I look at it and I'm like, I gotta kind of like not think about it. And I don't wanna have to not think about it. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I, when, when I pop on my Xbox and I play like an old Xbox game, like Xbox One, Xbox 360 it still looks better than what's happening on my Switch right now. And like,
0: I mean, yeah, there's some places where it can look impressive, but it's very rare. I mean, I know I'm, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know, like if people want this, but I just think like, wow, the new Mario games look so cool. But like, how cool could they look if they could like do ray tracing? Yeah. Like, what kind of cool stuff could you do? If you had the ability, to, like, play with like reflections, I mean, imagine Metroid with reflections or returns. I right? mean, I don't mean, I don't mean just as like, I don't mean just as like a, a window dressing. I mean, imagine how cool it would be if, like, you could have a whole level that was like based, like, on re- using the reflections as a gameplay mechanic. Like, I just feel like they could do interesting things. Like, those developers would come up with some really cool ideas utilizing new technology, but they're not going to because they're like, hey, like we can make like a really big bowser or whatever yeah i don't know i don't want to diss it anyhow all right listen we have more stuff to get to we have a great interview i want to jump into and then after that we'll come back and we'll do some nice things Does that sound good yeah let's do it our guest today is jake brennan the host of Disgrace land an amazon exclusive podcast that explores the intersection of rock and roll and true crime and we're very excited to talk to him jake thank you for being here
1: yeah thanks for having me excited to be here
0: so so I think this is an interesting you found a very interesting uh lane here right it's basically uh you have to look back and maybe you're looking at at current artists as well i mean you are you've got people who are active right now but you're basically trying to find the worst moments or the most seedy uh suspicious moments in the lives of people that we know and love and listen to uh like for instance you've got a you've got an episode about David Bowie David Bowie, of course, recently died. People have been talking about the, how great, how wonderful his career has been, how inventive of an artist he was. But you kind of are like, remember when he was into like fascism and cocaine mm-hmm. and fifteen-year-old like like, girls?
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So, so talk about a little bit about where how you arrived at this. You basically are like you're in a very, it's a spot where you probably are pissing a lot of people off. So, talk about how you arrived at this, at this decision, at this place.
1: Yeah, I wanted to tell music stories in podcasting. And I, I just I, you know, there's a ton of podcasts, as you guys know. So I was looking for a unique way in. And I happen to be have my own slow boiling, simmering obsession with true crime throughout my life. I mean, I, I read Helter Skelter when I was 15 Truman Capote Capote's in cold blood. So I've always sort of been, you know, into that stuff. And I thought, the stories i tell about musicians to my friends you know when i was in bands and we were in the van or we're backstage or at a party or whatever it was always the sort of more interesting like holy shit can you believe jerry lee lewis got away with murdering his wife type of story you know it wasn't like let's do a deep dive about uh, the b-sides on ziggy stardust you know it was <laughs> it was <Right>. more <laughs> it was more sort of the stuff that interested me and and i thought well if i can mix True crime specifically with music, then I'll have my own lane to tell these stories. So it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, how many, you know, 5000 word think pieces do I need to read on David Bowie and how great he was like, I, I know I got the memo, you know, we all did. To me, it's more interesting to talk about his career in his music through the the drama that was going on behind it. And I do that by hanging his story on whatever, or any artist's story on the crimes they either committed or have had committed to them.
2: (laughs) Why um, do you think it is that like musicians, uh, and crime seem to go hand in. Like I can't think of a musician who doesn't have some sort of shady business happening, or or, or like you know six degrees of Kevin Bacon b- murder. Um, what <laughs> or is it one about one degree? Mu- yeah. What is it about um, one degree? What is it about um, musicians? Is it that we treat treat them like gods? Is it that we that it, it, it concerts are a debaucherous? like locale. Like, it's just so interesting and fascinating. And uh, when I listened to the Studio 54 episode, it felt like whatever it is about musicians that attracts seediness was hyper concentrated in that one specific building.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's a great question. There's, There's a lot of answers to that question. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, musicians, a lot of musicians, to be the type of person that goes up on stage and it's driven to go up on stage in front of tens of thousands of people every night and exert that type of energy and manage that type of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, that type of narcissism that goes into that, that ego, that id, and then to deal with the adrenaline that you have flowing through you on a constant basis to 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 operate at that level. You're a special kind of person to begin with and you got to that point, you, you became that person In large cases, because of how you were raised and how you were raised, if you look at people like James Brown or Ike Turner or Jerry Lee Lewis or or David Bowie, to some respect, or John Lennon, these artists, I mean, John Lennon was abandoned by both of his parents. They were just like, see ya dude, we don't care. We're out. Like that that does something to you. James Brown was raised in a whorehouse, disciplined by being hung upside down in a burlap bag and beaten with sticks. Like that that's the type of thing that causes you to become the greatest entertainer of all time. And along the way, you get in trouble because you're just not a normal dude. There's other shit going on in your psyche that does not go on within our own our own heads and our hearts. We we sort of judge these people as if they are Um, functioning members of society, but they're anything but, and they have to be anything but to operate at the level and create what they create. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I mean, I mean, you're basically talking about, well, first off, everybody's broken in some way, right? Like, I think we all can admit that no one is, like, there's no normal, really. But, like, you're talking about people who are really severely broken. I mean, in John Lennon's case, in, in James Brown's Brown's case, like, those are, we're talking about real abuse, right? Like, early in their, in their lives. Uh, is it uniform for you? That you with every story that you tell, that you find, no matter who it is, at what level they're at, in what genre they're playing in, because you've got stories that aren't just straight rock and roll. They're stories from all over the universe of music. Like, I mean, Studio Fifty Four is a great example. But do you find that that is the thread that there are these like these people come from um, backgrounds where there is abuse or where there is
1: real like hardship that they come out of? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's so prevalent that I've just stopped looking for it it's it's cuz it's there and and i i don't want to be you know a amateur psychologist or you know but it's it's pretty constant i mean i i don't need to go into a deep dive researching Cardi B's upbringing before she ends up stripping and on a pole in 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 queens like just the fact that she's doing that for a living before she becomes A the biggest star on the planet, quite frankly, the connection's there. It's real. Like I don't really need to even explain it. Like you can just see it when she opens her mouth and starts talking. It is this hyper watt entertaining personality, and it's the same thing that causes her to like you know take no shit. So when she's messed with, she's going to strike back, and she's going to behave the way she behaves. And that also goes in, like I said before, into how they create their art. So I think you you it's interesting. You uh, we talked about the David Bowie episode a little bit. Um, you
0: have an episode about Led Zeppelin. And Led Zeppelin when, when I started when when I knew we were doing this, we were gonna do this interview, and I started thinking about that. Cause cause what you described, like I mean, at the beginning, you're kind of the 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 drive behind this is those stories that you the ones that you want to share. Led Zeppelin's one of those bands that like when I first came to them, you know, the story that I heard from like a lot of my friends who had already like been in the Led Zeppelin world was like the story about the fish. Like there's like a story about they like fucked they fucked some girl with a fish. There was some, like, really weird – do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, the shark, yeah. The shark, right, a shark, sorry, which is, like, it's so bizarre and so out there. And, like, you're, like, there's no way that's possible, but there's something so just – uh, like, you couldn't make – like, you think, well, how would you make that story up if you were making it up, right? Uh, and, and it's funny because, like, it, the podcast, you you know, you, dis- you describe, like, them sort of freaking out. Uh, David Bowie, which you know, on the flip side, is like David Bowie was freaking people out. But like, how do you get to like the truth of these stories, right? Like the shark is the—I sh- mean, the shark thing is made up.
1: I mean, that was always my understanding is that people were making it up. Well, it's certainly exaggerated. It wasn't like they had a great white in a hotel room and they had eight guys positioning it to get it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like right. they were—that's <laughs> because in my mind, that is what's going on. <laughs> there is it. A- it was like they got
0: some of the roadies and stuff. Like
1: when I was in the fourth grade and I heard that story, that's what I thought too. And you know, right. then you look into it and you you hear you read ten different takes on it from different people, and you start to suss your way through to the truth. And what was going on in that case was they were staying at this hotel in Seattle, which. You know the hotel was directly above the bay, I guess, and and you know some someone in the road crew, along with John Bonham, got the idea that they should go grab some fishing poles somewhere and cast them, and they did. And what they ended up doing was pulling up a, a three foot mud shark, land shark type of A uh, mud shark, right? That's it. Yeah, a sand shark I think is the appropriate yeah or whatever, but you know small, you know, but. You know, and then they get it in the hotel room and they get, you know, screaming groupies competing for attention. And one, I can totally see how that happens. You know, like, yeah, the way I told it in my podcast was I just subverted it and I kind of took the piss out of it and and made fun of the actual story because it's become such lore that it's almost like I felt silly just talking about it. You know what
0: I mean? Because it- Right. Well, it's a ridiculous when you say like when I was just saying it out loud, I was like, are these words actually leaving my mouth because they sound both insane and stupid you know like like of course of course that's not what happened but yet that's a be. that's what being a rock star is it's being insane and being stupid <laughs> Like
1: that's, right. that's the criteria
0: <laughs> right so it, you're kind of like well maybe it i guess it did happen um i mean on that point like obviously you're researching these all the time i would imagine like ha- have you had has there been a story either one that's like really well known or not that you've gone and researched and looked into and it's just completely fabricated. Like I assume there have to be ones that are just well circulated, but completely made up. Do you remember, are there any instances where there's a a story like that that you've looked into?
1: I mean, it's more the opposite where I've looked into (laughs) things that I was going to do and I've just sort of Become scared of of what's really there and what the real story is, and I've just I don't want to be anywhere near it.
2: That was a question that I had for you that I have to ask. Who at any time, any place, is the scariest celebrity or musician that you have researched that you just don't want to be alone with?
1: Um, I'll give you I'll give you two vague answers to <laughs> a very specific question. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to do a a episode on a fairly well known modern artist. And a giant, massive, worldwide um, organization that this artist is affiliated with um, came at me and in no uncertain terms was like, we're going to crush you if you do this. Oh episode. God. The other one, I will say, um, I'll be a little more specific on the other one. I'll just say that a lot of people have asked me, uh, a lot of listeners have gotten in touch and asked me to uh, do an episode on Elliot Smith. And after looking into it, I'm not going near it.
0: Yeah. I mean that's that stories. That story's really really sad. I mean that's a really dark story. I mean it seems like you don't you're not you're not trying to just bum people out with these stories. I mean these are stories that are kind of loom larger than life in some way. Uh you know like
1: Right. You're absolutely right. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no,
0: that's okay. I was just I was just going to say you know it's it's it seems like one of the powers of the show is that you're taking people who are who are these like massive like there's very often like almost no, you don't ever see the human side of it and you're not exactly humanizing them, but you're kind of peeling back the myth a bit, which I think is is has a humanizing effect. But I do feel like an Elliot Smith is like, I think Elliot Smith is really humanized and especially for people who really love him. I feel like that's a totally different kind of story, right? I mean, almost a different for a different podcast.
1: Yeah, it's very sad. Um, and of course, you know, what really happened there is, you know, for people to look into but i will say there's these artists you know i mean some of them you look at somebody like john lennon who i love but who i am entirely conflicted about who's just done some horrible horrible awful things and the narrative on him the popular narrative on him is it, it doesn't take into consideration any of those things and they're just they've been swept under the rug and that's fine i'm not trying to like be like this gotcha type of storyteller or whatever but that stuff to me is really frigging inter- interesting. The stuff that he actually did, but at the same time, the guy was gunned down senselessly and murdered. You know, at a point in his life when I feel like he was finally figuring out who he was and who he wanted to be, and then he's just gone. But all that, yeah. all the conflict leading up to that between who that guy was, what how he behaved, what the public uh, perception of him was. There's a real tension there, and. Uh, And that's an extreme example of it, but that tension is there in almost every single one of these stories about all these artists. Well, isn't isn't so much of this? um, I mean, we get a
0: narrative about. I mean, think about like you do an episode on Ozzy. You know, the One of the things I heard, you know, as a kid growing up, one of the things people talked about was like Ozzy ate a bat on stage or whatever, and that was like the the prevailing story of Ozzy Osbourne was this one moment where you're like, this guy's so crazy and so evil that you know, he like ate a, a bird or a bat or whatever it was on stage. And it's like, you know, <laughs> there's no nuance in that whatsoever. There is no real person inside of that anecdote that everybody shares. And I feel like with John Lennon, I mean, the murder alone is enough to 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 break our ability to see the nuance in that story, right? I mean, if he wasn't a Beatle and wasn't the Beatle and wasn't, has didn't have this history of unbelievable contributions to the... To the music world. Uh, that alone, right? That's enough. But then it's like the murder, to your point, is such a, a tragic, uh, almost beyond belief moment that all of the bad stuff and all of the nuance that might have been, that you might have understood about John Lennon gets kind of wiped away. I do feel like part of your show is to reintroduce the nuance into the conversation, which I think in modern media is often it it's lost right i mean don't you feel like these stories
1: are stories that we should have heard a lot more about absolutely and they're all out there and that's the you know it's people always ask me like god how did, i didn't know this like how did you how did you get this i'm like dude it's in it's in his autobiography the guy <laughs> he wrote, wrote, wrote it himself this. man like it's there and there's something about i'm not talking about john lennon specifically I, you know like in my head i've ray charles right now cuz i just read his his autobiography and i'm just i'm just shocked at the stuff the guy cops to and at the time the autobiography came out it was you know right around the time he was you know very mainstream very you know publicly admired and i get all that and he should be there's lots of reasons that he should that he should have been but you know the type of storytelling that i'm interested in and hanging my hat on is the type of storytelling that i like to hear which is this you, you know this this meld of of just edge of your seat History, historic storytelling, like the high drama, high stakes. So, you know, like I said, I don't care about like deep diving like the B sides on Ziggy Stardust like what i what I care about is David Bowie being stared down by a cocaine raged Jimmy Page in an apartment and their obsession with satanism you know or excuse me occultism so you know that that to me is more interesting, and it's real, and it happened, and it's there and we don't we don't need the same narrative over and over again, I mean maybe some people who do who are just getting into this stuff for the first time, but for me, like I said, it's like it's like that Tarantino movie that came out last year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like yeah. you're, you're putting all those people we know in those situations and getting to actually like see, you know, what 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 was happening, but also subverting history at the same time. That is really great storytelling, and that's the stuff that that I'm interested in. So that's that's what I do. Do you do you
0: worry that we're running out of <laughs> fucked up people uh in music i mean i know that we still have very tragic uh uh you know juice world for instance like you know there's an artist who a young really exciting artist who came to a very uh untimely end like but but that's more a story about addiction and a story about drug abuse and a story about things that really like a lot of people do. It, they're not they're not rock and roll stories so much. You know they're not like these larger than life stories. They're stories that I think a lot of us have encountered and have lived with and have dealt with. Do you is there a is there a shortage of people who are engaged and just who are allowed? I guess maybe to engage in absolutely you know outrageous behavior because I do think to your point, like you said, uh, the the autobiography you just read was written at a time or published at a time when whatever was being, you said it was Ray Charles. Is that right? Ray Charles. I believe, the, Yeah. Yeah. And the book came out in the, I think mid nineties, something like that. Right. And like in the mid nineties, when I mean, you go back and like watch TV from the mid nineties, it's shocking what was acceptable to talk about. It's like, I think about that Sean Connery interview where he talks about hitting women and, you know, he says it like nobody should be surprised to hear it. You know, and frankly, it's sort of handled in the interview. Like, well, I I I disagree with that, but you know, of course, maybe sometimes you have to hit a woman. But like, do you feel like that 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 we've changed? Has I guess maybe there's a bigger question here: Are we running out of people who behave like this? Have our have our expectations of quote unquote stars change? Have we evolved at all? Is there a shortage of these kinds of stories? And maybe is that good or bad? There's a lot of questions in there, but
1: I think it's a pretty big question. I think. There's no shortage historically. Like it's just, it's, uh, you know, it goes on and on. There's so much there. There's just, there's so much as it pertains for future artists, as the question applies to future artists. um, I think, you know, we're evolving as baked into your question here. We're evolving as a society and, and kids. I mean, I have two little boys, like kids are raised much differently than we were raised. They just are like they're and it we were better parents than our parents were. And that's, I'm not really trying to slight our parents. It was just the culture. No, you're right. You're definitely right though. <laughs> but it was just the way the culture was like, you know, I was left alone. I was a latchkey kid. I could do whatever the fuck I wanted from pretty much the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. So what I did was read about crazy rock stars, do drugs and listen to rock and roll. And <laughs> I think lots of other rock people who have become rock stars who are my age or, or who are older, those, they had come from those upbringings where they were left alone and left to figure shit out on their own. And oftentimes it doesn't go well. I mean, I don't know. Or, or like, would my, my kids into music, would he make a great rock star? Probably a pretty boring one. Cause he's got a pretty good childhood, you know? And I think <laughs> that's the thing. Like, is is thats that, is that, is that
0: it? Is that what makes the, is that what makes us so dark? I mean, is, I mean, we talked about it before, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, I think about like post Malone. Like post Malone seems like he's not great, but like he probably didn't murder anybody. I mean he's like comes from like a rich family. Well you know, how much
2: he... of this do you think is is like people nowadays Im- doing an imitation or a performance of the behavior of people who actually were expressing some level of like trauma or um erratic behavior or mental illness like sometimes i look at lady gaga and she has a lot going on like in her personal life it's very there's a, some darkness there obviously she grew up like upper middle class so it's not that you know she wasn't in uh, in any danger of starving but she has like a a, a sort of sordid backstory of like her time in new york um, people she knew who died right around the time she was about to rise to fame. And then while she's famous, she has tons of health problems and, you know, she's drug issues. And But a lot of her performance is imitating Bowie or imitating The Stones or imitating Madonna and, uh, or influenced by, I should say, not like she's doing a cover act. But, it, you know, how much of that, like, is Kesha channeling Mick Jagger but isn't really Mick Jagger?
0: Well, Ke- Kesha ain't Mick Jagger, I can tell you that. <laughs>
1: It's, I don't really know how to answer that. It's, it's interesting because Gaga, is. she exists at a time when she can talk about these challenges. She can talk about her yeah. mental health and her anxiety. And it's almost like it's going to be welcomed. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, David Bowie could not talk about his brother's schizophrenia and his the way he was trying to deal with his own identity and how he felt about his sexuality. It just wasn't... It wasn't really allowed. It had to manifest through his art. Not that it doesn't with Gaga, it does, but there's also we just live in a different world where it's it's healthier in a lot of ways. So I feel like they're kind of better set up. But you know, there are, I'm sure there'll always be artists who feel like they have to live the quote unquote rock star lifestyle as cheesy as that is, um, and live up to some expectation. Um, but you know, the the music industry is a much different place than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was yeah. the freaking Wild West. And people, the labels were so starved, not that they are now, they were so starved for hits and cash that they would—they were permissive in this behavior. And its we're not we are not there anymore. You know, I mean, certain behavior is allowed to go on. But, like,
0: labels are closer to tech companies now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right.
1: Well, I mean, well, I don't, know, I don't about... know what you mean there. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah.
0: No, it's true. Though I mean, I mean, but also there's been, um, yeah. I mean, the point about what is okay to talk about. I mean, you talked about like, you know, you said David Bowie's brother had schizophrenia. I mean, was there even a way for David Bowie to talk to even describe what it was? Did he even have the language or understanding about that particular uh, mental health? Issue that he could talk, you know. What I mean, it's like the whole construct has changed in the sense that we're we're actually more educated about what drives people to do stuff. We have a better understanding. I mean I say this like I feel like the history will look back on this podcast and be like, "Listen to these people. They thought they were so enlightened, and yet, and yet, we all ended up in a murder suicide while performing at a at a rock club." Um, it, BTS like, <laughs> became a
2: series of serial killers. Yeah, BTS <laughs> has
0: actually been doing serial <laughs> killing the entire time. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's but that's a different type of. I mean, you don't you don't have an episode on on I mean you could probably do it. Did you do NSYNC? I mean that's pretty dark, right? NSYNC's got there's a really dark backstory Ugh. there. I was gonna say, like then but you know what actually and I was we were gonna talk about this. So, you know, the story of the moment right now is is speaking of, of NSYNC is Britney Spears and the perception, the public perception of Britney Spears uh as told to us by the media versus the reality of it is, you know, how much of that kind of of what is happening with her right now is sort of what you get at
1: with these stories, I mean, where you're sort of trying to find the real story. It's a huge part of it. I mean, I haven't seen that documentary yet, the Britney documentary, but I am I am a little aware of of what's been going on there and, and what she's been faced with and the whole thing with her dad and all that. But I'm always trying to get at that that thing behind the artist that isn't part of the narrative, you know, that's like, you know, I mean, I just wrote this Ray Charles episode and it opens with Ray Charles flying a plane. Ray Charles was blind, but he he, he flew I'm a dying. plane, you know, like he was uh, he owned a plane. He owned multiple planes throughout his career and one of them was going down and the windshield was frozen over with ice and he was it was a small Cessna that he was in with the pilot. And uh, he was assisting the pilot in landing the plane through air traffic control. But just the fact that you know it's Ray Charles—that's nuts. Before before that happened, and the way he was able to pull that off was he knew everything he could know about flying a plane, just because he was fascinated with it. You know, and he was he was blind. My point—you don't you don't think that about Ray Charles, right? No, yeah. definitely not. <laughs>
0: I mean that's that's a crazy story. Yeah. So
1: so that's always what I'm trying trying to get at. I mean the stuff about Britney. I mean that's pretty dark and it's you know it's you know in the moment we have no way of knowing oftentimes what's happening. Now with yeah. the benefit of hindsight and um, I mean yeah I certainly use that as fuel. Well that's
2: that's like kind of like there is some darkness to the. I mean yes the reason the show is so entertaining and so delicious is the juice and the like sort of like the heart pumping um, uh, more like uh, what is it adrenaline feeling? But I I think, you know, the Britney thing is, it's interesting because like it has now been exposed for being a very sad scenario of what we did to her and what was done to her by her family. But it's also like, there are outlandish parts of it, right? Like there is a scene of Britney's life, which I I think got made into a, a lifetime movie where her and Justin Timberlake had just broken up and they had like a dance off in an LA club and like, Got and they were like backup dancers got into a physical fight afterward with each other. David, and it's did, like,
0: that, did that really happen?
2: <laughs> yes. And it's so outlandish <laughs> and as its own story, phenomenal. But a part of a larger picture, it speaks to the sadness and rot in like American culture and American life. And I wonder if you sometimes get a little jaded about having to sort through a lot of the like emotional and psychological detritus of these people um, and trying to like turn it into something that can be, um, entertaining, but also like instructive. Like, are you, do you get exhausted by the like emotional labor of it?
1: No, not really. Just because I mean, honestly, the, the thing you just mentioned, those moments of absurdity are so highly entertaining, even for me. And I I come across them all the time, whether it's Brittany and Justin in an LA club dance off or Ray Charles flying a plane or. John Lennon freaking out because Bruce Springsteen's getting played on the radio and he's not like that stuff. <laughs> it just it just blows my mind and I find it to be endlessly fascinating and it's a great counterbalance to the the weight of the emotional side of it. Yeah. The the uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I think what's interesting
0: is is on the Britney. First off, I've never heard the dance off story, and that is. Feels like that's gotta be a disgrace land up. Yes. That. <laughs> um, but uh no, it's I do think like do you feel I mean I guess it's a little bit piggybacking on what Ryan's asking, but do you feel like, you know, the media is very um has been very complicit in the building of these narratives. And do you feel, you know, what's your responsibility here? I mean, in terms of obviously you're kind of shedding light on things that people have uh, have known about, but maybe not seen the full picture of, but, but is there a responsibility, uh, that you feel as you're telling these stories to, to, to give people like a truer picture, I guess? I mean, is that, is that one of the driving sentiments here? Like that you feel like where the media
1: is essentially lying to people all the time about who these people are,
2: like making them into cartoon characters. A lot of the time.
1: Yeah. I have a kind of nuanced view. I, I don't, you know, to say I feel responsible would you know, be inflating the, my sense of what I think I actually do. Like I, I'm just, I'm trying to make content that is highly entertaining first and foremost. And the, my path to doing that rests on finding these stories that aren't well known. And uh, often And you hit the nail on the head with that Britney club scene. I mean, it's that, that absurdity. Um, it just helps me do what I want to do. I don't, I don't feel like morally responsible or responsible in any other way. I think journalists, journalists have a tough, lot of it and you know journalism has changed like everything else in our society so much over the last few decades and you know it's funny if you guys I'm sure you guys are up on all like the Marilyn Manson and Army Hammer stuff that's going on and very very interested
0: in both of those stories
1: so the interesting thing to me is I I haven't really been following this as much as my wife has but like every night I get like the new update update from like what's been been going on on the internet from her second hand and it's like there's a lot of Oh, well, Marilyn Manson said this in an interview and now they're pulling it and he's talking or Army Hammer said this about like eating someone's rib in an interview. And like, it's like, like, to my point, this stuff is out there. What's a journalist going to do though, from, you know, Rolling Stone or whatever. And they're they're interviewing Marilyn Manson or Army Hammer and they drop some comment like that. Right. Is it, is the journalist going to be like, Oh, you know, maybe one in a hundred journalists would be like. Oh, let's talk about eating the women again. <laughs> like, let's let's yeah. delve into that, Mister Manson. Well, I mean, I, well, it's, it's like
2: the open secret of Ellen's behavior. I've been telling people for years. Everyone in comedy says I was abused by or I know someone who was abused by Ellen, and I've been saying it, and nobody listened. So I just kind of was one of those things I knew about Ellen. Then it all comes out, and I'm like, man, maybe I should have. I don't know. Well, I, it's, it's hard it's, because, like, what was I going to do? What well, was the old, I, random blogger, going to do? Right. Exactly.
0: The open secret thing is is one thing, but I also think, I mean, you just touch on something that is real, which is, like, I think now more than ever, so many of these people are handled um, by these huge, you know, this huge apparatus that protects them from those questions, right? And, frankly, from a media that often doesn't want, like, the, cover, the good cover story is not the one about, you know, if you get, let's say, I mean, you know, I don't know who would do the cover story on Marilyn Manson. I mean, he's maybe the wrong choice, but, like... Uh, let's use Post Malone because he seems like, you know, relatively relevant, you know. uh, You get the cover story with Post Malone. His PR people are like, okay, here's what you can ask him about. Here's what you can't ask him about. There's plenty of opportunity for them to be like, the interview is over and, you know, you want to make GQ happy. Like, you're not going to go and ask Post Malone about first of I don't even know if Post Malone's done anything he's like actually very boring the more i think about it but that's
2: it. what makes <laughs> so legendary the profile of like Frank Sinatra has a cold which is like a f- fuck it if you're not going to pro- cooperate in like your myth making through like talking to me then i will do it myself right. and sort of blowing the doors off of in a way that you're really not supposed to when you like write a profile like it, it, there's a level of like access journalism right that that tells yeah. a certain story for the musicians that people get fed and even though there's obviously more interesting angles right out in the open, it takes someone looking for those interesting angles rather than looking to just continue to venerate
1: these people. You used to have that. It's almost like you have this permissive story ta- storytelling now or myth-making where you used to have editorial outlets like Rolling Stone, You know, even up and until the 90s, where they were... You know, I don't know what their corporate structure was, but still, from an editorial perspective, they were fairly independent. And in in spin and alternative press, you could get these stories. Now, media has become so concentrated and so in in working in tandem with these artists to kind of I mean, they're all in it to to they all have an agenda, and if they don't work together, they're not going to fulfill the agenda. And we're just stuck in this in this thing. I mean, I'm thankful that. You know, I get to do my type of storytelling because I launched independently and, you know, despite whatever media company I'm partnering with at the moment, or I still have that independence to tell the story that I want to tell. Like Jeff Bezos doesn't call
0: you and say you got to kill that misfit story.
1: Well, there's a reason he retired.
0: (laughs) He was like, he was like, I can't enjoy this knowing that I have got the power to kill these stories. I've just got to step out, step back so i could hear you know the Grant parsons the real story about Grant parsons yes
1: um <laughs> exactly but no no i mean my, my point is i didn't I, i'm not a journalist i never have been i didn't want to pretend to be one i didn't want to try to be one or whatever um but i kind of feel for these guys like you know what are they going to do it's like it's hard to do anything or have any sort of like unique perspective or point of view Unless you're being entrepreneurial, like, you know, frankly, like we are, or you have, you're doing this in a way where you can come at it with some independence and not feel like you have to shill for, for whoever you're working for. No, I mean, it's true. Actually, it's
0: your point about Roy Stone's really interesting because at the time when they were, they did used to do, the stories were like, holy shit, this person said something or did something in this story. And you're like, that's actually scandalous. And people would talk about it, right? They would be, they would be, it would be a story, the story of, of that person would be a story in and of itself because of what Rolling Stone might have uncovered or another publication, but there weren't that many people doing it, right? Like think about up until, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, how many music magazines were there that would cover, deeply cover these artists, you know, uh and that would, would both offer them a, a a global stage to be on, to be profiled, but also be still doing real hard journalism about them. I mean I, there there was a different kind of interview and a different kind of cover story for artists like that up until, I want to say, the late 90s. And and I th- I think part of it is that, you know, obviously media has been blown apart in a million different ways, but now there is, you know, it's like, hey, if, if Rolling Stone doesn't want to do the cover story, there's like a thousand other outlets that have just as big, if not bigger, audiences that will play ball with you. And so in a way, what you're doing is, is one of the only ways to actually get to the real story, which is like picking through, you know, the the picking through all of the details and all of the historic and archival stuff that it's out there to kind of piece it together, you know, in a way that that this, often these people don't want
1: to say; they don't want to say out loud. Right, right. The other side of it is, I don't think they want it to go away either. I mean, they're happy with the myth and the bad storytelling, tale- the the, the myth making, the bad boy attitude, all that. You know, it's funny as you're talking, I, I was thinking like music doesn't have, on the journalism side, it doesn't have its Bob Woodward, you know? And and I don't mean Watergate Bob Woodward. I mean, the guy, like, I don't know how the hell Bob Woodward does it. Like, if I'm a president and Bob Woodward calls me, I'm not picking up the goddamn phone. This goes back to, I mean, I remember reading Bill Clinton's book and Stephanopoulos was like, I, I can't believe I fell for the woodward thing everyone warned me against it and I just like I rolled over and just like opened up like a book you know what I mean and yeah and, and there's no there's no music journalist or maybe there's an entertainment journalist that I'm not thinking of but there's no music journalist who can just like get Mick Jagger on the phone and you know get Mick to kind of like you know just tell stories he wouldn't tell or, or cop to things or give access that he wouldn't tell. You know, the iron, the great irony is that when Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone did that, his biography with that writer, the writer did exactly that to the guy who founded Rolling Stone, <laughs> like basically took all the shit he didn't want in the book and put it in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that that exists anymore. I
0: mean, there are people who do it and there are a lot of great journalists out there still doing this. I do think, I mean... There's just, there is a way now that the celebrity profile kind of works. There is a sort of like expect expectation that you'll be edgy, just edgy enough, right? Like I think that's kind of now, like Post Malone is actually, I hate to keep coming back to him, but he's a good example because Post Malone's a guy who's like totally super commercial pop star, comes from like a good family, good background, you know, got to start doing like Nirvana covers and now is like, I'm a rap star. But like Post Malone in interviews, you'll be like, "Whoa, he said some like kind of fucked up stuff, but it's not so fucked up that it damages or destroys his reputation. You know, it's like just enough to make you feel like maybe he's actually really an edgy guy. And and I think that's kind of become in a way like what you're exploring. There's a kind of more generic, um, you know, popular version of it that every artist tries to have a piece of now. I mean, it, almost like, it, uh, Ryan, to your point about Lady Gaga, I mean, her narrative is like, she has this narrative about like, you know, her her background, her upbringing, being able to be who she is. Like, she's obviously a, like in the LGBTQ plus community, obviously a huge star and has played that up as much as possible. But it is like, sort of like, you know, her struggle had to be part of the conversation about Lady Gaga. It couldn't just be like, she's really talented and, and became famous. You know? So I feel like yeah. you what you're exploring is now like a little bit of a generic part of every star's story, that they've got something yep. that makes them weird or well, different it's, or... it's
2: why people go on American Idol and say, Well, I'm so excited to be here because I have triple cancer and I was blown up and my mother <laughs> left me at a bus stop, and I, you know, I, you know, uh, I I've I've never heard music until today. And right. now I am the greatest singer of all time. And they all go on there and do their 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 performance of it because Like, like you said, I think it used to be enough to be a really cool person to watch on stage. And now through some of the like selective myth making that rock stars and pop stars have wanted, they they feel required to have this. It's so interesting. Yeah, it goes
1: beyond to me, you know, just cruising through Instagram. It goes beyond musicians. I mean, there's just like I feel like there's this need to be vulnerable or this expectation, I should I should say, to to show your vulnerability in a way where you can garner a, a way to relate to your audience. Which, I mean, part of the the seventies, eighties, nineties rock stars where they were they were godly, you know what I mean. There was no vulnerability until yep. Kurt Cobain came along and kind of crushed it all. And now now there's almost an expectation to be that way. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's you know to your point, it's different.
0: Yeah, so listen, so we're, uh, I, I hate, I don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive of that, but we're a little bit over time. And I know you probably can't spend all day with us as much as we would enjoy it. Um, before we go, I want to ask you is there a, an artist that you've been, is, is there somebody that you've got that's kind of like you're, you know, you're trying to find a way to crack it that you've always wanted to do a story on that you haven't found a way to do it? Is there like a um, Mount Everest for you
1: of White artists? Whale. A white whale, yeah. Do you have one? Yeah. A uh, uh, little guy, by the name might I heard of him, his name is um, Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. No, that's two on the nose. I no, need... now who is that? <laughs> <laughs> name, uh, is he...
0: I know the name Presley.
1: Uh, no, I hit, um, I hit on him in my book, the opening chapter and the closing chapter are both on Elvis. The opening chapter is Fat Elvis. The closing chapter is Skinny Elvis. And <laughs> I've always said that my last... Um, The last episode of Disgrace, Him will be on Elvis Presley, and then I will have left the building. But he's such a complicated guy, (laughs) and there's so much there, and there's no real uh, direct criminality. Um, I've heard a lot of stuff. I've had people call me, direct sources, and and offer things to me. Um, So I I don't know exactly what the story will be, but I know I'll get there at some point. I'm just sort of waiting.
0: I mean, that to me feels like it could be its own (laughs) That could be a whole other podcast. Just about Elvis. I mean, I, you know, he's <laughs> pressing Elvis. I don't know. So <laughs> just Disgraceland 2.0. Anyhow, uh, well, listen, there's a million things I'd like to ask you, and you'll have to come back on. And and then, it, by the way, I'm— been, listen, The whole time I'm we've been, been talking, talking, I just wanted, I want you to know that I've been thinking about this person that you said, that this, like, international organization was deployed against you, This this— Star, this is a, a musician, musician, right? That you're about. talking about.
1: is Megan Trainer. It's man, Megan Trainer trained Nantucket on me. They're coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say it was great talking to you. I'll see
0: you guys. Later. <laughs> uh, no, actually, this was great. You got to come back and do this again. Uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we, we have been talking to Jake Brennan. He is the host of Disgrace Land, a rock and roll true crime podcast available on Amazon Music. You need to go and subscribe and listen to the show. It's super fascinating. Run don't walk. Yes, Jake, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks guys, I really appreciate it. Have a great one.
0: So, you know, listen, a lot of nasty stuff going on. A lot of nasty stuff going on in the world of music. A lot of dirty, nasty, sexy, hot, exciting stuff happening. Anyhow, I think we got to we should wrap up, right? Is there anything else? Do we miss anything? Uh, do we, have we talked about, uh, <sighs> Valentine's Day? You know, it's fine. Let's just go. Let's just wrap up. You want to do your night? You start, you do nice things and I'll do a nice thing. And then the nice thing will be that the show is over. We can get on with our lives.
2: My nice thing this week is, um, I had a lovely Valentine's Day. Um, and I got the Chromatica Oreos. So that was great. But truly my consumerist, nice thing for the week is that I got, um, a very prominent hardware modder to create a, me a N sixty four like handheld edition, like a like a like a, like, a, like a <laughs> squeezed into a handheld <laughs> in the shape of a Game Boy SP, <laughs> a Game Boy Advance SP, um and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it charges over USB C, and all I do now is play um Super Mario sixty four. <laughs>
0: What, um, may I ask what kind of cost would be associated with such a thing?
2: You'd you'd end up spending a little north of a thousand dollars.
0: Wow. Wow. But. That's bold. That's bold. I like it. I love it. As a matter of fact.
2: But I'm mentally ill. so Have you considered that?
0: (laughs) I have considered it. I've thought a lot about it, actually. Um, My nice thing is, this is so dumb. I have a dumb nice Mm -hmm. thing. I started um, shopping for fragrances. <laughs> I have this. I have this. Uh, this. Um, this cologne that I wear. I'm not going to name it because I don't want the secret to get out. But it's a. Uh, it was something my grandfather wore. It's. It's actually not very easy to get because they basically stopped creating like a version they sell in America. And it wasn't like it's not super fancy or anything. But anyhow, but I was like, I like the way this smells, and I've been wearing it a long time. Are there other things that I would like that smell similar but I haven't tried? I mean, what does it matter? I'm, like, never leaving my house. I mean, nobody cares about what I smell like. But I care. And that's enough, isn't it? Anyhow, so I started doing some, like, spelunking on – there's, like, a really interesting – I mean, people have written about it and talked about it before. But there's just, like, a fascinating world of, like, fragrance review sites where people go deep. Like, like you think people who are into keyboards are nerds? <laughs> like, Like, you should read some of the reviews – of people who are into fragrances uh it's a whole other world anyhow so i started spelunking in there and i found a couple of things that i was interested in trying i've like i bought some like vintage some vintage uh things some testers a couple of new things and again no reason to own these or use them because i never leave my home anymore but i guess for laura it'll be nice you know maybe i'll smell myself once in a while and be like oh okay. i was
2: gonna hold over your head that you're putting cologne on in a pandemic but
0: I had a realization this week that I had just gone through
2: a month of teeth whitening. Only to realize that by the time I see anybody, they'll be nice and yellow again. <laughs> what was the point of
0: that? Is is, <laughs> is, is oh, sorry? Is coloed a pandemic? Like, is that a thing? Oh like, no! How I just figured you? like that... who's
2: smelling it, Zelda? Like, who she doesn't care? <laughs> right, right. No, I nobody that's cares. My teeth it's me, try... it, Literally, <laughs> literally. Anytime I'm in public, I'm wearing a mask. There's no reason
0: to white one <laughs> teeth. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, especially the teeth. I mean, this is a this is a, for me a man with a monstrous mouth. This to me is like. Uh, Christmas this is Christmas for people with bad teeth because I can smile as big as I want and nobody can see the the hideous vampire slash werewolf like uh, situation going on inside my mouth anyhow so yeah so 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 hopefully in the next couple of weeks I'll be able to share with Tony uh, what is going on with me from a fragrance perspective you're gonna be feeling
2: patchouli huh
0: and smelling
2: gasoline
0: I'm, that actually sounds I like a pretty good start of a, of a personal, <laughs> listen, I love the smell of gasoline. You know, what's funny is like we've taken, you know, obviously Zelda has been in the car, but we've like put, put gas in the car and she's like, that smells good. And we're like, it does smell good. <laughs> it's not supposed, it's not supposed to, there's no reason why it should. But for some reason, almost everybody I know is like gasoline smells, smells great.
2: Phenomenal. You know, it doesn't smell good. It's so weird. Says it smells what? good. Fresh cut, oh, like no, fresh cut grass you liars I'm wrong i disagree no fresh
0: no 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 fresh fresh cut grass is wonderful no. and, well, by the way by the way the kinds of things as you're exploring these websites the kinds of things you start to learn about are all of the different smells that exist okay like for all the notes like for instance i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you about my 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 fragrance my secret it's fragrance that earthy, i'm not going to share an earthy base with notes yeah i want to tell you what the yeah, let me tell you about what the – let me give you the ba- – Base Notes, by the way, is one of the websites that you can go on, basenotes.net. I love any site that's oh, a dot yeah. .net. You can tell that's from a. That's from the old internet. That's a forum, like, that's right? not. Like it's got to be a forum. That It's basically a forum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a forum. It has. It's like one of these websites that's been around for like 30 years and has all the crazy shit grafted onto it. <laughs> it's um, built on
2: WordPress and everyone who uses it hates it. Like they're all nightmare people who've been there for 30 years.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, no, no, this is pre WordPress. This is pre WordPress. Oh, so, uh, top notes, Neroli. Don't know what that is. I can actually look it up. Lemon, Pettigrain. Never heard of it. Uh, heart notes. By the way, these are the way that they describe these top notes, heart notes, and base notes. Top notes, Neroli, lemon, Pettigrain, or petite grain. Not really sure how you, I guess it's petite grain, maybe. Um, heart notes, cardamom. Base notes, cedarwood, oak moss, and vetiver. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound lovely? And um, so you learn all sorts of things about these individual scents. That's actually pretty simplistic compared to some of these things. But uh, anyhow, so that's that's a little something I found too. I mean, shopping is America's pastime and it absolutely is my pastime. Uh, As of late and I'm, you know, until I get vaccinated, I really can't do anything. It's winter in New York. It's so fucking cold and depressing. It snowed another five inches today where we live. It's like there's really nothing to do now except wait. You know, I'm thinking about becoming uh, morbidly obese just to get the vaccine sooner. Okay, and honestly, I wouldn't need that much to do that much work because I've all been doing is eating since I've been indoors for the last year. So, yeah, so I'm buying, you know, I'm buying expensive uh, or sometimes cheap but hard to find fragrances and then just going to be spraying myself with them and laying. Again, I'll be uh, getting into my bed under three layers, putting both masks on, waiting for Joe Biden to slip in and then inject the vaccine into me. But until then, I'm going to smell great under those covers. (laughs) I think that's a good place to leave. I
2: love when men slip in and inject me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm dying for that old man <laughs> to be injected by that old crusty man. Alright, goodbye. Bring 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 me the bring me the syringe, Joe. Goodbye. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Though I've just learned that Joe Biden has slipped into your family's home, but he does not have the vaccine.